Salutations, and so excited to be bringing you another episode of Lord Have Mercy. Um, just right off the bat, I want to tell you about something that's happening at OBA that we are referring to as the glow up. And the glow up is basically a transition that is going to amplify some of the best parts of OBA, um, put away some of the things that were less successful and less interesting, um, and then make the content that we curate every single week premium. So this is going to be a great relationship between those of you who choose to subscribe and we, the OBA team, because we'll actually get to know what it is exactly that you want to read. Um, we'll be able to find the authors that you're most interested in um, and we'll be able to do some really cool stuff. And we have all of that uh, coming up uh, soon, we'll be able to tell you all about it. One of those things is actually a really cool way for you to digest some of the others. Anyway, I won't even get into it. But I do want to say that this month, in preparation for the glow up happening December 1st, we have uh, a promotional rate for the subscription. So if you want to subscribe, usually it's $4.99 a month. But if you subscribe between November 1st and December 1st, it is $3.99 and it's going to be totally worth it. I can't wait to tell you about all the other things we're going to do. And now let me tell you about our sponsor. Our friends at Faith in Public Life are circulating two petitions. The first is to push Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and every senator to act on gun violence and end mass shootings. Senators must act now to free us from fear. Our family, friends, and neighbors shouldn't have to live in danger. The link to the petition is in the show notes, or you can visit their website at faithinpubliclife.org. That's faithinpubliclife.org. Um, something else that they're also promoting uh, that they want you to sign, and I want you to sign, um, is a petition for uh, Congress to do the right thing. So President Trump is on the brink. We've all been watching that in the news. Um, an impeachment inquiry is already underway. And now is the chance for Congress to do, to do their job and follow the truth. You can join our friends at Faith in Public Life to demand that Congress fulfill its constitutional responsibility. No one is above the law. So sign a letter on our website, um, on their website, sorry, at faithinpubliclife.org, or check again in the, in the show notes. So, so excited to have you guys sign that. And uh, now the show. You are listening to Lord Have Mercy, a podcast about God, sex, and the Bible. I'm your host, Crystal Cheatham, and today my guest is Hannah Adair Bonner. Hannah achieved her Master's of Divinity from Duke University Divinity School. Dedicated to amplifying the voices of young women, she produced a documentary, Awaken the Voice, to ensure that the young women she worked with in pursuing justice for Sandra Bland would be remembered. An avid hiker, Hannah can be found most evenings admiring the saguaro cactus along one of Tucson's many trails. Um, I had so much fun talking with her, and I love the work that she's doing both on the border and the work that she used to do um, for Sandra Bland. And, um, and now, Hannah. What were some of the things that you believed when you were younger that you don't believe anymore? Oh, wow. Right? <laughs> yeah. Wow, there's so much. Um, I mean, 
I think that I was, I'm an, I'm an Enneagram one, so I'm like really good at like rules. Ooh. And, yes, and too. so the rules of fundamentalism were just, you know, um, very appealing to me. Like I could, I could be that person who could obey them all. Um, and it's not like I'm like to hell with it, with all that now. But, um, but at this point I just view faith really differently and I view it as a, um, there's not really a, a place for rules within my faith. There's more like a place for goodness and kindness and love and compassion. And what do all those things look like when we live them out rather than do's and don'ts? Um, so I think that's probably like the biggest way that my faith has shifted. Was there a particular moment when it did kind of shift away from that conservative rule-based mindset to something that was way more freeing? I mean, for well, most people, it's for most queer people, it's like the moment they decided to come out. But it sounds like you have been actively working in 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 these progressive spaces for a while. Yeah. No, I, I, and I think that's kind of the that's the interesting thing is I have I have had people ready and willing to welcome me into queer fam for so long. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like I'm kind of. Um, I, all things have their time, um, and I trust my timing. Um, but, but yeah, definitely I've been very welcome and very affirmed in who I am by a lot of people for a long time before I was affirming it myself. But I think the moment for me when I really had a breaking with that world that I grew up in was I was always in trouble, even though I was trying to be perfect. I was always in trouble because, um, the, there was the rules um, and one of those rules was like obey authority figures. <laughs> and, but then there was this other role, which was that Jesus was the biggest authority figure in my life. And a lot of times what authority figures were doing was in opposition to what either Jesus was calling me to, or in opposition to what was kindness and goodness and loving and compassionate. And so all throughout my youth, I was, I felt like I was always in trouble because I would be kind of sticking up for what I felt like Jesus was asking of us even when it was maybe in contradiction to what authority figures were, were wanting. And so it was like this, this bigger role, like the bigger role was always, you know, Jesus love. And so I think I was always in trouble growing up in fundamentalism, but then it really came to a head in college because, you know, I'm fairly assertive. I'm fairly stubborn, even though I tried to be such a good fundamentalist girl. <laughs> and um, I ended up actually getting excommunicated what? from the campus ministry that I was in. Yeah. How do you get excommunicated? That sounds like a what? story. What did you I'm... do? <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of my, you know, it's one of those very controlling, controlling ministries. Uh, it was called, it was called at the time campus outreach weekly. I think they've kind of rebranded now, but, um, it, it's, it was just very controlling of our lives, right? About who we dated and what activities we were involved in. And I started getting in trouble with them because I did activities they didn't want. Like we're supposed to join sororities and be in housing staff so that we can kind of target people to recruit. And instead I wanted to be like on the orientation staff and I wanted to do this and that, you know, so I was doing different activities and also dating whoever you know I wanted. And um, so I was kind of doing my own thing and I was noticing with my friends that were trying like so hard 
to obey all their rules that it was having such a harmful effect on them psychologically. And I actually had a couple of friends that tried to hurt themselves. And so wow. I wanted to be helpful. I wanted to be helpful. And so I wrote a manifesto. Um, <laughs> you did not. I, it, wasn't, it wasn't intended to be a manifesto. It was intended to be like a letter, a loving letter to the leadership. Like, I don't, I think perhaps you don't realize how your controlling discipleship tactics are harming us. And maybe if I explain it to you, you'll suddenly be like, oh, wow, you're right. Let's change it all. And so that was my attitude going into it. And um, hmm. <laughs> that's not that's not how they respond. It never happens. That one never happens that way. When you're like, hey, there's a hole in your logic. It, they never take it the way that you want to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I, I ended up having like the, the head of the ministry, like head male dude of the ministry, like sit down with me. And while he was meeting with me, um, the women disciplers were like meeting with all my friends. One of them was in my dorm room meeting with my roommate and basically telling them she's a dangerous person. You can't allow her into your inner circle anymore. Um, what? You are not one of God's chosen. You're not capable of understanding God's love and mercy and grace, and you never will be. And you should probably drop out of school and go Whoa. home to Philadelphia and seek psychological help. Maybe check yourself in somewhere. For just being a little disruptive in college. Yeah. It w and not even that. Like, I was like, in my head, I was like putting in, like, my letter to them in my head was like an apple on the teacher's desk. I'm like, look. Here's an idea of how you could, you know, be even better at this. <laughs> uh, and so, um, I mean, really the hardest and also the best thing that ever happened to me, right? Because I wasn't fundamentalist. I was, um, I, I, I was and am a, uh, a feminist and I, I was and am a woman with a calling on my life. I was and am a queer person, whether or not I knew all those things at the time. And so, you know, them kind of kicking me out the door um, helped me to get get to where I am, um, no matter how painful that was. And I kind of went to other ministries on campus kind of looking for a place to be, but they had also met with all the other ministries on Jeez. campus telling them that I was dangerous. Um, so, uh, so wow. yeah, this is like stuff I don't usually talk about, but, <laughs> um, but there was a group of, of folks that approached me finally and they said, we know what you've been going through. We've actually created a ministry for people like you, and we'd like you to be a leader in it. And um, it was called the Mere Christianity Forum. And it was, you know, started by students. It was, at that time, it was it was student-led and student-driven. We've since then hired staff people and um, own a community house and stuff like that. But at the time, it was just a group of, a group of, to be honest, it was a group of dudes that were really wanting yeah. to have a woman in leadership um, <laughs> yeah. along with them. And so I was that woman. Um, and they they really they really changed the direction of that I was headed in towards from isolation to community. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like that seed of um, of righteous rebellion of being an activist and standing up for what you believed in really started to grow at a young age. Um, and that's so admirable. Um, my next question is, when did you, uh, when did you experience your call to ministry? 
I think that I was probably experiencing it my whole life, but couldn't. because you were a rebel, like you were, you were, <laughs> you were a badass, and they yeah. were like, "Hey, why don't why don't I uh, teach Jesus to people?" <laughs> like it's just <laughs> at opposite opposite ends in my mind, for sure. <laughs> well, yeah, and I guess that um, I guess that my whole life I feel like I was probably being called, but I grew up in I grew up in United Methodism, but in a kind of unusual congregation because we do celebrate women in ministry in the United yeah. Methodist church but I grew up in one of the the congregations that was resisting that very vocally um and so I grew up in a world where um you know women like me uh were um I don't want to use I don't want to use uh foul foul language please um, use foul language um is it okay if it's offensive can you edit edit it out if it's too bad? Yeah. Basically, <laughs> basically, in the world that I grew up in, like women like me were bitches, witches, dykes, and heretics. Those are all and my favorite words. So, <laughs> I, and I and they have become, you know, and and it took me a while to realize, like, those are all great things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, um, the the way the, the way that they the, the perhaps my discomfort about using those words is just because they're yes, it's. The way I'm using them is the way that they is, is to describe how they use them, which was to do harm, not the way that we use them when we reclaim them, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, so th- that was kind of the world I grew up in. And so it was an impossibility for me. I, I, I didn't see women in leadership in my fundamentalist Christian school that I went through K through 12, nor in my church, nor, you know, I mean, um, my mother grew uh, she, she she grew four feminist daughters, so she can't really deny she's a feminist, no matter what she tries to say. She, there's four of us, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, so um, uh, yeah, I guess that I'd always been been hearing that call and always been focused on 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 Jesus above all else uh, to the extent that it, I would defy authority figures in order to follow um, the love of Christ. But um, I couldn't see it until really those folks, I, I think that group, that Mere Christianity Forum, when they they approached me and they said, we don't we not only want you to be a part of our ministry, we want you to be a leader in it. And th- they saw something beautiful and what everybody else was saying was ugly, you know. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, I I finally was able to, you know, articulate that I did have a call. And at that time, I was still struggling, you know, not to go full force into uh, being cast out of all the worlds that I'd ever been a part of, which is what the cost would be, right? Um, And so I was like, well, I'll be a a youth pastor, you know? And for years, even after I was like, you know, almost finished with seminary, my dad would tell people I was going to be a Christian counselor. Interesting. (laughs) There's like these these ways that we try to downplay what's really going on, but... Um, the, the folks that I was in ministry with, they, they contacted Duke Divinity School. They asked them to recruit me, and they did. And um, I ended up there, and it was a great place for me to continue to go through that, that wrestling um, and to find liberation um, in the Scripture rather than condemnation. Um, I was challenged by one of my professors to study the text that caused me the most guilt about my calling. Mm-hmm. Isn't that sad guilt about your calling? Oh, right? Mm. Like that language is yeah. hard. Um, but I studied uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 34 to 36, and it kind of ends with this rebuke, you know, because it's saying like women shouldn't teach in church, and it ends with this rebuke, you know, for was it from you that the word of God first came forth? And 
as I was like sitting there for weeks with the Greek, I kind of just like suddenly one night in the library, I just starts laughing and crying and saying, I'm free, I'm free. (laughs) And the thing was that like, was it from you that the word of God first came forth? The word of God, the word made flesh, Jesus Christ was, did it first come forth from a woman? Yes. The word of the, the, the word of the gospel that Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again, did that first come from a woman? Yes. And huh. just that like irony that this thing that had been used as a rebuke, it's like, well, actually, yeah, it did first come from a woman um, in both cases, however you look at what the word is, right? Whether it's Jesus or whether it's the gospel. And so um, I, I haven't really looked back since then. That kind of obliterated the hold that fundamentalism had on me in terms of my calling. Um, now it's a whole other journey of how, you know, the hold that it had on me around my queerness. That's probably a lot more complicated. But, but that piece of it, in terms of its condemnation of me as a woman in leadership, was obliterated that day in the library. Um, and never really look back. Hmm. You, um, so you experienced this call and you work through the shame, which is so very resourceful and beautiful. Um, and I mean, I'm sure that there are so many people who have been touched by your work who are thankful that you did that work and that you are who you are. Um, something that's going on in the evang- evangelical Uh, space right now is uh, a conversation about race and how race impacts uh, the way that we practice faith. Um, And automatically I think of uh, Lenny Duncan's book, um, Dear Church, because it really does address some of the issues with um, predominantly white congregations. But um, my question to you is, as somebody who has in that time owned your um, your womanhood and your voice as a female minister. Um, how have you also owned your whiteness? Um, mm. I know that you did a lot of work uh, for and around the, the Sandra Bland catastrophe. Um, and I'm wondering how you as a white woman decided to uh, to jump in there. How has your how has your your whiteness informed the work that you that you did? Yeah, I think that um, for me, it's impossible to disentangle my calling to be a, a, a theologian, a clergywoman, from my calling to um, dismantle white supremacy within our church. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when I first was starting to answer my call back in South Carolina in college, you know, I was a, I was a girl from Phil- a woman, a girl, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I was on the verge of being a woman. I was a woman <laughs> in, in, in South Carolina from Philadelphia and, you know, grappling with the racism in the, in the seat of the Confederacy, right? Yeah. That was the context in which I answered my call. And then in, in seminary, I got to seminary and I thought, well, like, once I get to seminary, all this racism that I'm... Um, seminary will all be like loving and everyone's going to be just wanting to serve God and love their neighbors and there won't be any racism. Um, so naive, like you mm-hmm. got to remember where I'm coming from, like a way far extreme, right? So, <laughs> so I get yeah. to seminary and, and that is absolutely not true. There was mm-hmm. so much. And as, if you watch the, follow the news, you know, every few years, there's some kind of, if not more often than that, 
a big uh, incident at Duke uh, within the larger university, if not specifically within the Divinity School itself. Um, and so that was definitely um, a part of that became intertwined with with um, and, and I, honestly, I think it should be for all of us, because I think white supremacy is one of the greatest heresies of our time. And if we are responsible pastors and theologians, um, we should recognize that dismantling white supremacy isn't a, a hobby. Like it is, it is addressing one of the greatest threats of our time, if, yeah. you know, um, and, and we all should be, we all should be on board with that. But, um, <laughs> yeah. um, I guess that that, you know, that led me through many points in my journey. And, um, as a, as a Methodist woman, years, years into my ministry, uh, as you mentioned, um, in, encountering, the uh, voice of another Methodist woman, another Methodist woman who had a calling from God um, in, in the voice of Sandra Bland. Um, and, uh, you know, when Sandra was um, brutally and falsely and illegally arrested, um, the officer was later arrested for arresting her, so illegally arrested. Yeah. Uh, um, she had, before that time, she had made about 32 vlogs um, on... Uh, on, on justice and faith and, and her activism. Mm -hmm. And so we had a lot of mutual friends when I was in Texas and when she passed away, they were kind of demanding uh, a response, specifically the um, Prairie View Productive Poets because Sandra was arrested basically at their university. They'd gone to school with her and they were a part of the artist collective that I was in. And, and specifically one of them, Jeremiah, who goes by the fluent one, just kept sending me texts in the, in the day in the 24 um, hours after she, after the news of her death broke, he kept sending me information um, until uh, finally I ended up going out to the to the jail where she had passed away. That uh, and and yeah. late at night at 10 o'clock at night and lighting a candle and um, saying some prayers and. Um, you know, when I went home that night, I thought that's all I would do, right? Like a, a small thing to honor her life, right? And when I went home that night, I started to watch her her videos. And it was clear that she had a calling from God and mm -hmm. that that officer cut that short, that she had a calling to, to do this work of dismantling white supremacy in our church and in our world, and that that officer was trying to silence her. And, you know, I felt a very clear calling to be um, unwilling to allow that to happen. Um, and so, you know, what followed was um, two, uh, uh, two, almost three months in front of the jail where she passed away. Um, and, and really two years of working with the students at Prairie View A&M and with the church that she was arrested in front of, which is Hope African Methodist Episcopal Church, um, to make sure that um, that she would not be silenced. I think, you know, our, our big hashtag was hashtag Sandy still speaks, which mm, is, yeah. um, there's like Sandy still speaks, um, pins now that you can buy, um, that go, money goes to the, to the family's, um, foundation, um, for scholarships, I believe. But that was the big thing is Sandy still speaks. And the point of that was that you can't silence her because her videos were called Sandy speaks. And by saying Sandy still speaks, it was a refusal to allow them to silence her and to stop the calling that God had put on her life. And so um, I think that 
you know, so we come together as a community sometimes to help one another fulfill our callings. And those guys back at the Mere Christianity Forum, you know, they came alongside me to make sure that I fulfilled the calling they saw on me. And myself and, you know, Marissa and Shayla and Rashida and, uh, and, and Jazz and, um, and so many others, you know, they came, you know, they came together to, um, to make sure a lot that, that Sandra fulfilled her calling um, despite white supremacy's um, attempts to stop her. Well, she will definitely be remembered um, in part because of your work and you um, spending your privilege, which is a term I really like um, that gives people with privilege the power to kind of step into places that um, black and brown bodies um, often get get uh, halted in. So, um, yeah, thank you for doing that wonderful work. Um, it sounds like you've been able to continue uh, doing this this social justice work um, today in Tucson. Um, and uh, last week on the podcast, I told folks that we were going to hear a bit about the border people, and I love that <laughs> term too because it just like it just it sounds so fairy tale. It sounds like um, it should be inside of a, uh, a Harry Potter novel or something. The border people, um, but they are they are real people, and they're and they're um, taking on some some real struggles right now. And I'd love to hear about your work um, with them. Yeah, um, I think that so many times people see the border on a map, right? And yeah. they see, they see this as a, a line. They see this as a wall. They see this as a geographic location. And um, in reality, the, this is a people, it's a community, um, and it, it's the people of the border. And so many who have, who have lived here for so long, whether it's those whose, whose, whose families have been um, cut in half, right, by our, the, the, the lines that we have drawn through violence. So whether that's um, you know, the Tohono O'odham, <clears throat> the Tohono O'odham Nation, Mm -hmm. um, which is the land that Tucson is on, you know, part of their nation is below our border wall and part of it is above, right? So they're very people, the indigenous people of this place. You know, we have cut a line through their families. Uh, we cut a line through families, you know, um, the city of El Paso uh, talks about being one city with one, uh, two cities with one heart. That, that people live on one side in, in Juarez and work in El Paso or they live in El Paso and work on Juarez and they have family on both sides and that, that these these lines are going through our hearts um, they're going through uh, God's creation um, they're dividing that which God has not called us to divide um, and so mm. to be a people who who live here is to um, to decide how are you going to interact with that reality, um, and so um, w with my ministry with the college students, um, I try to help them to think theologically about what does it mean to live in this space where God has created this this world and and humankind has has slashed it with violence to divide yeah. it, and how uh, what is the faithful Christian response to that? Do we do we um, participate as complicit <clears throat> with those divisions, or do we um, 
once again, like when I was a little girl, there's a higher law and that law is God's love, right? Do we obey that law? And what does that look like um, when it comes into conflict with the laws that, that man creates? Yeah. And, and um, I, I do say man intentionally because it is man. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, and so... And Christian Nielsen. Christian. Kristen. <laughs> oh, yes. Kristen <laughs> Nielsen. Oh, uh, Yes, yes. She, well, she, well, she, she enforces the, she enforces the law. Um, but, but, th- yeah. So I think that that is. Um, it, I have so much. You know, I've, I've, I have not been here that long. I've, I was in Houston before this, which isn't terribly far from the border, but is not. I wouldn't consider the border either anywhere near it. Um, but to be here and to see the different kind of life that people live, um, you know, you have. Uh, you know, college students all the way up to like 88-year-old women who hike into the desert to leave water because Jesus said, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And when they see people dying in the desert as they traverse it um, to to seek safety, they don't want them to die of thirst. And so, you know, some of our, our best hikers are elderly, elderly folks um, that, that go out um, then that's how they're spending their retirement in their last years. Hmm. Um, and, and, you know, they're, they're hiking out there with college students, with people of all ages um, that are, it's, so it's a different kind of lifestyle because the physical repercussions of our policies yeah. um, are very much in our face. And, and to, to follow that higher law of, of Jesus' love is very much in our face. Whether that, particularly last year with with my students, I focused on Matthew twenty five of that. You know, I was I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. But the other side, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. Yeah. I was thirsty and you didn't give me something to drink. Yeah. And what do you do when that's really literally right in front of your face? As it is wherever we live, um, but in a in a different way. When um, when we have a policy as a nation that tries to close off all other um, avenues of, of traversing our borders such that those who want to try to cross have to do so in areas where they're very likely to die and in which our policy is seen as successful. The more of them that die, therefore the more that, that our, our government thinks they will discourage others from trying. And so death is a sign of success. Um, and, and we are called to interrupt that. We are um, called to interrupt that. And it is our duty as Americans, as those people who um, live in America, to do something about this because this is blood on our hands. You know, if if I I'm one of those people who's so proud to be um, an American, and I think that being patriotic is like super high on my on my um, list of personal identities that I care about. And just the fact that this is happening um, in our country is devastating and infuriating. And we need people like like you who are out there on the border who uh, can actually do the physical work, um, and you personally who can um, minister and encourage those people who are getting out there and, and doing the, the doing the damn thing. So um, I, I think I there has to be a way that um, those of us on the coast and those of us in, in Central America can actually support the work on the border. Do you know of any nonprofits right off the bat where money would be accepted and put to good use? Yeah, um, I usually, uh, the cities that I know best in terms of this work are El Paso and Tucson, you know, because I spent time in El Paso with around the Torneo um, 
what I was told last night by my friend Lala that concentration camp is the correct word for yes. what we were doing there. Um, and so in in El Paso, um, Las Americas is I would is they're my heroes, a group of uh, women attorneys um, fighting for folks there. Las Americas, um, and uh, which is uh, a legal group there in El Paso, and uh, Detain Migrant Solidarity Committee. Any of these you can find on Facebook by searching. And here in here in Tucson, I volunteer at something called the Inn, which is a shelter for asylum seekers. That I, I spend, I, I do an overnight shift there once a week, and my students and I all volunteer there a good amount. It's a ministry of the Methodist Church for asylum seeking families. Um, as, as well as um, uh, the, uh, the Samaritans and No More Deaths are groups that really lead the hikes in the desert that people um, would benefit from learning more about them. Um, yeah, I'm going to put all, I'm going to put... Oh, and Derechos Humanos, uh, uh, which, uh, it, for those that don't know Spanish, that's spelled, well, you'll get the Left hand, right hand? What is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You'll, you'll, I'll, I'll send you, I'll okay. send you the links. <laughs> yeah, we're going to put them in the show notes. Um, and I want to encourage everybody to give, even if it's just, you know, $5. I, I think that it's totally worth it. And it'll shave some of that grief off of some of that um, uh, shame off your soul. <laughs> At least <laughs> it will for me. Um, yeah, money is really important in, in these times, even as, you know, the, the peach giant gets impeached it's still important um i wanted to ask you one uh two more questions but one of them is is just how important is the bible in your personal personal life i think we live in a time where people think that the bible is kind of um less useful than it used to be and so i don't know i wonder if you feel that way or if it's a really important tool in your personal yeah. life yeah, I think um, it's you can't have a conversation with me without me quoting something. Um, yeah. I might just quote different things in different ways than people are accustomed to. But um, but I think that that's one of the it's the one blessing from growing up fundamentalist. Like the Bible is in my head. Same. Um, <laughs> and so it's like I I'll talk about things you know with my students. They're like I never heard that, and it's um and it's like I had it pounded into me. I used to but, sing um, a song about it. Like it's that yeah. serious. <laughs> yeah. No, I I had Bible class every morning for twelve years, and I had to memorize verses every week for twelve years. Right? Like that's that's a lot. Um, yeah. but I think that I I. I live, I try to live the Bible, but it's maybe in a different way than how I grew up, right? So it's like, it almost feels like I'm living a different religion than what I grew up with. And, um, and I'm, I, I, being a very stubborn person, I see that, I, I see it as this is, this is what Christianity is. Yeah. Like, this is, this is it to, to, to loose the bonds of injustice, let the press go free. Um, and that that isn't in contradiction to the love and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's an imitation of the love and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so um, I think that I have, while, while on the one hand, I've learned to claim, I've learned to claim all those kind of concepts that were used against me, right? Um, of bitches, witches, dykes, and heretics. And even one time in an email to, to all our church members when I was older, somebody referred to women like me as the, you know, the false prophetess Jezebels, and when will we, when will we stop them? And I was like, dude, I used to babysit your kid. Like, <laughs> it was so, anyway, but um, I've learned to claim all those words, right? Yeah. But, 
but I don't claim them as like um, as like I'm claiming that that I, I claim them for myself and what they mean to me, which is they mean the revelation of Jesus Christ. They don't they have not meant for me ever leaving the church. Um, there's been times when I've uh, there's been times when I have. Uh, <laughs> There's been times when I have fled from certain kinds of church, right? Yeah. When I was excommunicated in college, I couldn't go near a church. I, I cried so much when I tried mm. to sing worship songs or hymns that I, I would hide in my closet in my dorm room and I would sing by myself and weep. Um, wow. It hurt so much, and that was an entire year. That went on for an entire year. Um, and at one point in my journey, I got really burnt out on ministry and I left the country. But even then, I went to church in the country that I went to, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have left, I have left church in, in certain ways, but I, I've never quite um, been able to take those words that they threw against me and ex- accept them as... Um, as a barrier to prevent me from being in the church. Instead, it's like, um, yes, I'm going to be a bitch and a witch and a dyke and a heretic and a false prophet, Jezebel. Jezebel, all up in your mix. And, and I'm, not gonna let go. <laughs> I'm not going to let go of the power and the authority that's been given to me um, as an ordained woman. So Preach. you're going to have to deal with it. <laughs> I love that fire. That's what's <laughs> up. Um, thank you. I, I My last question is just like, I always applaud people who who um, who come out later in life, um, and that's because I also I feel like I came out later, even though it was like my early twenties. But um, in my experience, I was just focusing on other things. Like there were just so many other things to work out before I actually came around to uh, my inherent dykeness. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so I wonder what that that journey. I'm um, not to get too much into it. Was like was like for you just. Because, you know, we both grew up in purity culture. We both grew up in um, Christian spaces where uh, a woman's place is beside a husband. And so everything in your life is geared towards you finding that perfect person. Um, yeah. What was that like for you and, and where have you ended up? Yeah, I think that um, I kind of, uh, you know, I kind of thought early on, that I was just really good at, at, at living out the purity culture. Um, <laughs> Yo, me too. <laughs> I just had like, I just, I was so good at not sleeping with my boyfriend. It was crazy. Um, <laughs> Jesus told me not to. <laughs> and, um, you know, over, yeah. So I, I mean, I had a serious boyfriend for about six years. Um, he never really got very far with me. Poor guy. Um, and, um, and I had kind of, uh, guys that I dated in seminary, but then after seminary, um, uh, after seminary for the next decade of my life, I probably went on like a, a first date, occasionally a second date, um, every four years, like I'd go on a date. Uh, (laughs) And I was just like, it was exhausting to try to to get myself to muster up wow. the interest in spending time with men. Like, um, <laughs> I, so, so every once in a while I'd be like, oh, I think I can tolerate this. But, um, <laughs> but I was just never very interested. And so it wasn't like, you know, um, and, and I had all kinds of reasons for that, right? Like I'm a woman in ministry and men are intimidated by me, which is true. Um, they were all true things. Um, uh, where, um, I also just wasn't interested and it's been so, I think the funnest part about 
um, the funnest part about really embracing my queerness as I did over the past, uh, you know, a few years personally and past year publicly has been um, that like, I don't have to muster up that energy anymore. Um, I can wear shorts when I go swimming. Um, <laughs> How <laughs> dare like, you? I don't have to like be polite when guys are trying to hit on me. Um, not that I ever really, you can imagine I never really was. Um, I, <laughs> even the guys who dated me said that I was like the, <laughs> the least flirtatious woman they've ever met. And now oh, I'm like, I, I, now that makes sense. Um, but, um, I guess that, I guess that I have, I'm really, really enjoying being queer because there's so much of that, uh, kind of expectations about, uh, being, uh, being a, uh, a woman who is supposed to be interested in men. Um, it's, I, I, you know, even when I was like a kid and people would have like, you know, it was the time of Tiger Beat and there'd be like posters people would cut out and, you know, they'd all be talking about the boys they had crushes on. JTT, yeah. Jonathan Taylor <laughs> Thomas. Um, yeah. Wow. wow. <laughs> and I was just like mystified and exhausted by all that and like so bored during sleepovers. Um, <laughs> and so I think it's it's lovely to be, you know, to, to be in a phase of life where I'm loving and uh, loving and accepting and embracing all of all of who I am. And you know, in terms of that, um, I'm, I'm, um, I haven't, I've only, uh, I get, well, I, I, hmm, ha, say I it. The, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm definitely like, um, I'm, I'm, I, I it's for the first time in my life I want to be in a relationship because yeah. up to this point it's always been a burden of like, oh, I have to pretend I want to, you know. <laughs> And, and now it's like, actually, I actually want to be, and I kind of had thought I'll just be always single and, you know, I mean, anything's possible. I could be always single, but, um, but I actually want that now. And it's, it's kind of scary and kind of delightful yeah. and exciting and, um, you know, um, a whole new world. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, that's a piece of it, but like the reason why I came out publicly professionally when I did was because of what's happening in the Methodist church mm-hmm. and the fact that they are trying to, um, that, that, that a certain portion of our, our, our church is trying to get rid of folks like me, um, to try to finally use those words, those bitches, witches, dykes and heretics as a, to truly build a wall, right. That can, that can kick us out. And so I came out in the time that I did because I wanted to be able to say to folks in my conservative background, hey, this is true of me too. And when you kick us out, you're kicking me out too. Is that really what you want? And um, and to and to say to young queer folks that I love, because I've been I've been like I have I have had young queer folks young queer folks that are in seminary now after being in my ministries, you know, like I have been in relationship with with amazing um, young LGBTQ folks, you know, for most all of my career, really. Yeah. And so to be able to say to them, I'm with you, we're in this together. Um, they're going to have to come through me to get to you. Um, and so it was more, you know, that was really the reason for the timing. Um, and fortunately, with folks in my conservative background, for the most part, their their response was, um, uh, uh, yes, we, we are okay with kicking you out too. Um, <laughs> but, but on the, but, you know, and so I guess what I've found is that the other piece of it, which is, is, is hopefully giving hope to, 
to younger folks, that I think has 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 been what I hoped it would be. Um, mm. So, uh, yeah, so I'm in this space where I'm open to all these other things and I feel kind of this sense of kind of shyness and curiosity and um, and and um, newness about having opened myself up to to naming and knowing and loving who I am and being able to be known and named and loved by another person in relationship yeah. um, during a time at which the consequences for doing so um, would be uh, would 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 be um, very hard on a relationship. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so it's 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 an interesting chapter, and um, and I am just so grateful for all of the um, for all of the LGBTQ folks for the queer community for the older lesbians for all of the folks you know yes. the, queer, the queer teenagers like all of the folks that have been loving me in my queerness before I I was able to name and acknowledge it and who continue to do so and who um I would I have been so richly blessed like amen so richly blessed um to the to the point where when I'm finally here there is it's it's a very kind of simple transition, right? Because it's like just acknowledging that I am who people, uh, who God has always known I was, that, um, and that 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 I already have a community that loves me and affirms me just the way that I am. An angel gets its wings every time some a queer comes out, right? <laughs> <laughs> I want to believe that. But I also believe that there's hope for old maids like you and me to find a partner. <laughs> yes. Well, yes, absolutely. You know, yeah. women w- women are, are I haven't even reached their peak yet at our age, so, you know. I know, we're still out here strutting our stuff, doing our thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also just to, to second what you said about our queer community, they are so loving, and it is amazing how much we can get along at um, – at different stages in our life, you know, like um, ageism in our community is less of a thing Um, because, you know, like our community is so small. We get to love everybody from the youngins to the old heads and just kind of experience this path together, which is uh, such a beautiful, beautiful blessing. Um, Yes. Amen. Hannah, I just want to thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today. Thank you. <laughs> and um, where can people find out more about you online? Yeah, on Instagram and Twitter, I'm Hannah A. Bonner. And um, I have a website where I write. Right now, the web address is Hannah Adair Bonner. Uh, and I write about all kinds of justice issues on there, whether yeah. it's guns in schools or immigration or uh, white supremacy. So. Uh, you know, come by and get your intersectional uh, theological revolution uh, in in all its many forms. And you are writing for the app, right? I am, oh, I I am thrilled to be writing for the app. Yes, I'm really excited to be able to be a part of that community. Thank you. That's what's up. Isn't Hannah amazing? just the kind of human I want to be when I grow up, right? I told you you were going to like it. Um, 
You can find out more about her and the organizations that she referenced in this episode in the show notes or at crystalcheatham.com slash yournetmercy. Um, and I just want to say that the, there are very many, very many ways, blah, 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 very many ways that you can get involved with our Bible app. And that includes joining a chat room, uh, signing up to get a welcoming packet for your church, and submitting your own work, of course. So if you have a devotional that you want to send our way, please do. It's on our submissions page. Um, and you can find links to all that jazz on ourbibleapp.com. Love spending this hour with you. Okay, bye!